Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. Uh, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 16 as we continue looking chronologically at the life of Jesus Christ, the most influential life that's ever walked the face of the earth. And so I want to encourage you to open to Luke chapter 16 because this is just one of those parables that Jesus teaches that is very, very difficult to understand. It, it may be one of, if not the most confusing parables Jesus ever taught. You know, and I've, I've listened to others uh, talk on this text. I have, I have gone to uh, different commentaries. I have, I have engaged other people trying to get a, a feel for what, uh, what's going on here in Luke chapter 16. I have wrestled with this text, and I am not sure that I've come up on top, but we're going to go through it anyway. Jesus, as he does over and over in Scripture, is dealing with something that's very near and dear to every single one of our hearts, and that is money. He's talking about money and how we use it, how we, how we interact with it. And what we're going to see in Luke 16 is that Jesus is going to tell a story, he's going to tell a parable, and then he's going to apply that parable to our lives. In fact, this is what all of Luke chapter 16 is about. And so I want to look at this text again and let you wrestle with it, hopefully like I have wrestled with it. So let's begin. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Are you ready? Here we go. Jesus said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that hear about you, turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am too proud to beg. I have decided what to do. So then, when I have removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Verse 9. I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. All right, you as confused as I am yet? So, this parable begins with a manager, or what some versions call a steward, being taken to task by his master. In short, this master has come to the stewards and said, I want to see the books. I want to see what you've been doing with my money because word is you have been wasting it. The master's not happy with what he has heard or what he has seen, and so he decides to fire this manager. And the manager knows he's in trouble. He can't dig. He's too proud to beg, and so he decides to come up with a plan. 
here's his plan. I'm going to take some of my master's clients and I'm going to reduce the debt that they owe, hoping that after I am kicked out of my master's house, I will be maybe received in by one of them. This part of the parable is really not all that difficult to understand. But what comes next is what leaves us scratching our heads. Because on the surface, it appears that this steward is being commended by being dishonest. It seems that as he continues to be dishonest by reducing the, mat, the, the debt of his master's clients, that he's being praised for that. So what's going on here? Because I have to be honest, I don't think that that's what this parable is saying. I don't think that Jesus would be commending someone who was being dishonest. So the question is, what's going on here? And here's where this gets really interesting. It appears, based on I've looked at, and this is my conclusions, you can come to your own, but it appears to me that this manager is not wasting his, uh, his owner's uh, money. This manager is cutting his own profits. In fact, this may very well be the problem because the law did not allow Jews to charge interest to other Jews, and it may be that that's what this guy was doing. And so what he does now is he cuts out the interest. He cuts out his own profits the master isn't losing more by these actions. No, the manager is taking the hit. The manager is absorbing the loss. He's cutting his own profits in the hope that one of these clients is going to receive him into their home. By the way, the amount of money that's being cut here is no small amount. And I just want to tell you what I see here. What I see from this manager, from this steward, what I see is repentance. You might be looking at that and saying, huh? Well, stay with me. The steward knows he has done wrong, and it appears that he is cleaning up his act. And it is this, this repentance that the master of the house is calling out, is, is praising, is commending him for. Now, we could have hoped that he would have learned this lesson without losing his job, but he didn't. Like so many of us, it appears that this shrewd manager learned his lesson only after the consequence hits. How many times has that been us? How many times are we repentant only after we get caught, right? Uh, come on, let's be honest this morning. Let's be real with each other. How many times is that the case? How many times does real change come after we lose something of value to us? right? That doesn't mean that the repentance isn't legitimate. It just took that instance in order to get them to come to their senses. I think the same is true of this man. It may be late, and it may be brought on by his current situation, but this manager has learned his lesson, and he's cutting out his own profits so that he can be received into the homes of someone else. But more than any of that, in this story, we find Jesus' thoughts of wealth. We find Jesus' thoughts on the purpose of wealth. I want to ask you, do you want to know what Jesus' thoughts are on the purpose of wealth? Do you really want to know Jesus' thoughts on the purpose of wealth? Because once you do, oh, once you do, you can't quite be the same again, can you?
Jesus is telling us in this parable that money absolutely has a purpose. Jesus is telling us in this parable that money is a useful tool. In fact, he encourages us to use this unrighteous wealth, the ESV says. Other versions call it unrighteous mammon because that's actually the word for wealth, mammon. And mammon include your possessions, your money, your stuff, your things. So Jesus says, use unrighteous wealth, unrighteous mammon. And I just want to say this about unrighteous wealth and unrighteous mammon. All money is unrighteous mammon. Here's what I mean by that. Money, by its very nature, is somewhat twisted. Because money wants to get you as much as you want to get money. Do you understand that this morning? Over and over and over, the text is clear about that. Money wants to get into you just as much as you want to get money. And so Jesus says, I need you to use that money, but I want you to understand that money can be dangerous. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, preacher. If money is so dangerous, shouldn't we just abandon it? And Jesus' answer is no. We shouldn't just abandon it. Instead, we should use it to gain friends. We should use it in a kingdom-centered way. Jesus says, use your money wisely. In other words, make friends, care for the poor, care for the needy. In fact, if you look at the end of Luke chapter 16, we find this very, very familiar and famous parable we know as the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And this is Money is one of the points, many points of this parable. In fact, if you look at the context of Luke 16, I'm not even sure that Luke 16, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, is given to us to tell us anything about life after death. I think it's given to us to tell us about money and how we're using it and how we're relating to it and what's going on with it. And we've turned it into this treatise on Gehenna and all of these other things when the point was, how are you using your money? rich man didn't use his properly. He didn't care for the poor. He didn't care for the needy Lazarus. And he's not welcomed into his eternal home. Why? Because he didn't care. He didn't care about the poor. He didn't care about the needy. And that was evidence that this man didn't understand the gospel. In Luke 19, we are introduced to another rich man who when Jesus tells him to give away what he has to the poor and to come follow him, he walks away sad. It seems money was more important to him than people were. Jesus constantly reminds us to not lay up our treasures on earth, but instead to lay them up in heaven, make friends, care for the kingdom, care for the poor, care for the hurting, care for those in need. And can I just tell you that Paul says to Timothy the exact thing that Jesus is teaching in this text. Take a listen. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul is saying the exact same thing that Jesus is saying in this parable. Now, the point is, it's not just the generous that get into heaven. But what Paul is, or what Jesus is teaching us is it's certainly the generous who show that they have received the grace of the kingdom. 
It is the generous who show they have understood the gospel. It is the generous who understand, who know how much they have been given. And because they know how much they have been given, then they can turn around and give it all away to somebody else. You know how much you've been given. You know how much you've been given. Let's dig a little bit deeper here. If we look at Luke chapter 16, it seems that Jesus is calling us to be what one one scholar I heard call priestly stewards. Jesus wants us to be priestly stewards. Let's unpack that a little bit. God is the master, and we are the managers. But we're not just managers. We are also priests, right? Peter calls us a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And so we're not just managers, we're priestly managers, priestly stewards. And so that means that you and I are here for his glory. We are here to honor his name. We are here to worship him. And so when you put this together, what you have is God's desire, God's plan for how you and I should use our money. We use our money for his glory and we use it in a compassionate way. This is the teaching of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus says about money. And you might be thinking, okay, but what are the advantages of that? Oh, much in every way. What are the advantages of of handling money God's way? Let's talk about that. Here's the first reason we should handle money God's way. Because what it does is it helps take ourselves out of the center of the picture. You know, at one point we thought everything revolved around us, right? Well, we know now that's not the case in our universe and our solar system and our galaxy. But unfortunately, I'm not sure we've learned that lesson yet. We still think everything revolves around us and me and my wants and my needs and my desires. And so when I learn how to handle money God's way, then I take myself out of the center and I don't have to be that anymore. Not only that, number two, man, handling money God's way, understanding that I'm to use it for his glory and in a compassionate way sure makes decisions about how to use my money a whole lot easier. So when I'm faced with a choice, what am I going to do? Am I going to do this or I'm going to do that? All I have to do is ask the question, which one brings more honor to God? And when I handle money God's way, it takes away the wrestling that we often do about should I get this or should I get that? We don't have to do that when we handle money God's way. And finally, number three, it reminds us that our money has meaning way beyond our stuff. Our money has meaning beyond ourselves. Our money has meaning beyond making ourselves more comfortable or making ourselves look better. And can I remind you of one more thing here? Jesus is our priestly steward. Jesus is our priestly manager. He showed us what it's supposed to look like, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So we use our money in God's way. We use it to make friends, to help the poor, to help the needy, so that we might be welcomed into what Scripture calls eternal homes. In short, when we do that, we're following in the footsteps of Jesus. 
Let's go back to Luke 16 because Jesus isn't done. Let's take a look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in very in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And what Jesus is really teaching us here is that you and I are supposed to have a commitment to lifelong faithfulness in every aspect of our life, but especially with our money. And Jesus is contrasting worldly wealth versus true riches. There's a difference. Worldly wealth and true riches are not the same thing. How many of us, can, can, we, can we be real? Are we at that point yet? Can we be real with each other? How many of us have ever kind of thought this? Well, I've given my contribution at church, so now I'm free to use the rest of my money any way I want. That ever been you? I've given my 2%. So now I can do whatever I want with the rest of my money. Do, do we understand that's not the way of Jesus? Don't we understand that all of it is his? And do we not understand that God is concerned with how I'm using every last penny, not just the whatever percentage you choose to give at church? Don't we understand that? And let me just add this, how we use our money is one of the surest indicators of the health of our relationship with God. How you use your money is one of the surest indicators of, your, of the health of your relationship with God. But have you ever asked the question, why is this so difficult? Why, why is this so hard for us? Well, number one, it's hard for us because it just flies in the face of everything that our culture teaches us. It is, it is swimming upstream, right? Handling money the way God would have us handle it goes against culture. It, it is countercultural, if you want to use that phrase. So it's hard. It's difficult. We don't want to be looked at as odd or different or weird or whatever. And, and number two, the more you have, the more people look up to you. Let's just be honest. The more money you have, the more people admire you, the more people respect you, the more money you have, the more of that you get. You see, the bottom line is money and value have gotten twisted. In our culture, the more money you have, the more value you possess. In our culture, people who are rich are valued more than those who are poor. I can't tell you how wrong that is. But that's the world we live in. People are not price tags. Our, our conversations, our words give us away. We talk about net worth, right? What's my net worth? It's what I own. It's what I possess. It's what I have. Add it all up, and that's my worth. That's my value. No, that is not the way of God. People aren't price tags. Now, I want to chase a rabbit for just a second because you need to hear this. I just want to say this out loud. I want to talk about the collective way this church uses its resources. 
Because Beltline has always done a really, really good job at this. In fact, one of the reasons almost 10 years ago I was drawn to this position was when I noticed how the money was spent here at Beltline, with a third of it going to either local or foreign missions. Man, I love that. That's fantastic. And if you look at the history of this church uh, over the last, I don't know, 75 years, Beltline has always been a church that has helped this city, that has been a part of helping those who have needs in this place. But I have to tell you, I feel like we're taking that to an even greater level here lately. As we think about the Next Steps initiative, as we think about all of these things that are going on, I'm just going to tell you, I couldn't be prouder of the generous way that resources are being used here in this place. I love the collective generosity that Beltline shows. And I also want to say to all of you who are sitting here today and listening online, we're just getting started using those resources. We have so much more that we want to do to impact this community and impact this world for Jesus Christ. We're just beginning this Next Steps initiative. We've been very interested in being a church that not is just doing church, but is planting churches. And one of the most exciting things that I hope is on the horizon is the possibility of us being a part of creating or building transitional housing for those in our communities and investing in them in a greater level than we are right now because what's sorely lacking in this city and in this community is homes for the homeless and we're just getting started and we want you to get on board this is going to be weird but I want you to stay with me I want to say to anybody here who's visiting maybe you don't live here in this city I want to say this to anybody who's watching online right now I want you to consider moving here to Decatur, Alabama, and I am dead, dead serious. I am. You say, why in the world would anyone do that? Because life is short, death is certain, and eternity is long. And if you're stuck in a church that wants nothing to do with helping its community that's just kind of playing church, why don't you come here and join us as we try to impact this world for the cause of Jesus Christ? I am being so serious right now. Life is short, death is certain, and if you can't get something started where you are, if you can't make it happen where you are, then come and join us. We need more. We need more of you to get on board. We need more of you to come and help us as we have grand dreams and plans beyond what we can handle ourselves. This movement is just beginning, and we have no plans to stop anytime soon. So join us as we try to live out the call of Jesus in our city. And I'll say this to those of you who are regular members here. If you're not giving, join us. Join us in giving so that we can impact this world in an even greater way. The leadership of this church made a decision a long time ago not just to be another church on a corner that thinks only about itself, but instead we have always wanted to be a body of believers who are impacting the city and the world for the cause of Jesus Christ. I could not be prouder of that. Now, all these visions that we have in order to be successful, we're going to have to have Jesus' vision of money and how to use it, how to spend it, how to be about it. And I want to challenge you in something right now. Currently, currently our contributions are not lining up with the budgets that we have. We've got these grand dreams and grand plans for the future, but currently 
Our contributions are not lining up with the budgets that we have. And so I want to challenge you to look at how you are using what God has given you and see if there's some areas where you might be able to sacrifice even just a little bit more for the cause of Jesus Christ. I know. I know it's been a strange time in our world. I know we're coming out of a time of uncertainty. But our God is not uncertain. And we can have faith even in the midst of uncertainty. And even if everything around us is falling apart, even if everything around of us is certain, our God is not. And I know this too. I know that God will provide for his church. He always has. Look at the history of this church and you will see it time and time and time and time again. He will continue to provide for his church. When we catch a vision of who he is, a vision of his world and how to step into it, when we partner with him, when we partner with the one who owns it all, he will provide. Don't you believe that? Church, it's time to move with faith. It's time to step out into the unknown in faith. It's time to believe and trust that God is not against us, that God is for us. So let's get busy. God will grow his church. Our job is to spend it. Let's spend it being about his business. One of the worst things that I think could ever happen is a church with millions of dollars in the bank and doing nothing to impact their world. God forbid that ever be us here in this place. And it will not be here, us here in this place because we have a leadership that knows we're going to do something with what we have. So let's wisely spend the church. Spend it helping the needy. Let's become that Acts 4.34 church where there was no needs among them. And what we will find as we step into that vision that God has for us, we will find an endless supply of the blessings of God. Over and over, even in the Old Testament, he says, test me in this. Bring it in. See what happens. Bring it to me and see if you won't receive so much blessing that you won't even be able to understand or fathom or have, have any idea of the greatness that I'm going to do for you. Okay. Luke 16, verse 13. Jesus has one more thing to say. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This passage really sums up Jesus' teaching on money that we find throughout the entire Bible. Did you know there are more than 2,400 verses in Scripture that talk about money and how to use it and how God wants us to use it. And this verse sums them all up. We can't serve them both. You're going to have to pick one. God or money. Because if we try to serve two masters, we end up hating one and loving the other. It's only natural. You see, opposing masters demand different things. Opposing masters are going in two opposite directions. The Lord is headed in one direction, and our flesh and our world are headed in another, and so a choice has to be made. Who are we going to follow? If we attempt to serve two masters, we're going to have divided loyalties, 
And when the difficulties of discipleship clash with the lure of fleshly pleasure, that magnetic pull of wealth and worldly success can and does often draw people away from Jesus. And we've got to fight against that with every ounce of strength that we have in us. We cannot let that happen. But this fight begins by choosing who you will serve. Will you use the money that you have been blessed with to serve God, or will you become a servant of money, and your only result then, your only plea then is, how can I get more? What it'll be? What will it be? What will you choose? God, money. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for the songs that we've sung, the communion that we've shared together. Thank you for the prayers that have been prayed from this place. Thank you for waking us up with a little bit of microphone issues this morning. And God, thank you for your word. Your word that teaches us who you are and how you are. Your word that challenges us and convicts us. Thank you for the inspiration the Holy Spirit gave to these men to write these words, to challenge us to follow them. Father, help us take the challenge, especially as we think about money and how to use it and how you would have us use it. And God, as this church steps into the unknown, we pray that you would be with us every step of the way, that we wouldn't be leading, that you would be leading, and that we would cover ourselves in the dust of your feet. Father, help us to be a church that always strives to meet needs, to love people, to serve others, so that we will be welcomed into those eternal homes that you have prepared for us at the end of this life. Oh, God, be with us. Help us to choose you, not money. Help us to use our money wisely, not let money use us. Father, give us the grace to know the difference. Give us the wisdom to understand the difference and the courage to walk a countercultural path with what we do with our money. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.